Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Happy New Year! This is the first episode of 2024, and let's jump into the news. First up, the big one was Elixir 1.16.0 was released. So let's just cover some of the highlights from this release. So there's a blog post that accompanies this on the Elixir Lang website. And if you'll remember, some of the ones we talked about earlier that was coming is code snippets in diagnostics. And what that means is in your command line interface, in your console, when you're you know getting your error feedback from compiling, it will now actually give little snippets of code with little like ASCII character arrows pointing to the places that it's talking about where there are issues. That just really helps clean up what it's talking about. So you're not just saying it's on this line at character position 32 and you're having to kind of scan and figure out what it means. Mm-hmm. It just makes it more obvious. I love that. I haven't had a chance to see it in action yet. I'm going to have to pull the update, get it used. And the next piece in the new release is revamped documentation. That's really all about stuff you'll find online when you're looking at hex docs or the documentation in the console. You can see it there too. But these include more guides. It includes API references, tutorials, cheat sheets, and more. That's great. Like when you have official documentation, which includes tutorials to help people get started, I think that's going to be really helpful. They updated some of the sections too. Like this includes mermaid JS diagrams. Mm-hmm. Like we've had that in X docs, right? They're just pointing out that they've updated like Elixir's docs now to use mermaid JS, like for gen server and supervisor, for example. So it, docs are just getting better, better and better and better. What I love about that is you're just trying to communicate, you know, these important concepts like gen servers and supervisors and how they actually work, but you can do it visually too. And like, that's part of the official docs. Yeah. And the next little section that was really kind of interesting is this whole idea of anti-patterns in the documentation. So what are you going to find in this little section of anti-patterns? So they're going to have code-related ones, design-related anti-patterns, process-related anti-patterns, metaprogramming anti-patterns. And then with each one, you'll have like the, the name of the pattern to help identify it and communicate about it. A problem description that says this is how it actually is harmful to code quality and what the impacts you're going to have. An example so you can actually see it and understand, oh, like, yeah, that's I, I recognize that code. I've seen that in my own project. And then the ways to refactor it. You've got the code samples of before where you have the problem, and then a code sample of a refactored version and why this is better. So I think this is a great resource for all levels, really, of Elixir developers to be able to, to glean something from. A couple of examples here is like code-related anti-patterns is, is having comments in your code. <laughs> I, just, I know this is going to make somebody angry, but I mean, I agree with it because it breaks up the flow of code and it just kind of constantly interrupts you with you know, with what's going on and over explaining things maybe. And so refactoring it is to make like variable names a little bit more readable, I guess. Right. So that way the code itself is a little bit more self-explanatory things that veteran developers have probably come across a lot. Maybe my favorite part about this though, is all the conversations that you undoubtedly have with all your coworkers about like why you don't like this thing and you can't really put your finger on it or something. You can make those less personal 
by just pointing to like the anti pattern in the Elixir docs, right? So it's like, hey, I see that you have a little bit of a Boolean obsession here. Maybe there's a way that we can refactor this. And you just point to the doc and you're done. It's not really personal at all. It's not really a thing that, you know, needs a lot of discussion. It's just like, hey, I, I see this. Here's more info about it. Hey, I see you used comments in your code. Let me show you this best practice <laughs> document here. <laughs> I love my comments. I don't know. Sure, sure <laughs> well, they, they start off with a controversial one. I know, like the very first one is the comments one. Tabs and spaces comes next. (laughs) Just kidding, it doesn't. Okay, well, the other keyword here is living document. So Mm -hmm. this is going to continue being refined. Uh, There's already, there's ones in here that I'm not sure I agree with. Like the the way that they deal with data migrations as a... We need to revisit that one. They they suggest to put it in a mixed task, but you don't really have that (laughs) in production, so... There's other ways to get around this. <laughs> so the last thing I just wanted to highlight from the release doc for Elixir 1.16 is a little section on a type system update. And I just want to read this little bit. It just shows us where they're going with Elixir. As we get Elixir 1.16 out the door, the Elixir team will focus on bringing the initial core for set theoretic types into the Elixir compiler with the goal of running automated analysis in patterns and guards. And that this is the first step that they've previously outlined it in their process of actually taking it out of research and putting it into implementation and actually something from their research into practice in the Elixir compiler. So very exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to impact better errors, error detection. You know, what what comes from that? Better developer experience all around. I'm looking forward to it. All right, coming up next, we got Andres Alejos' blog post about machine learning in Elixir. It's really an introduction to machine learning in Elixir by way of defining all the different words, libraries, concepts. It kind of serves as a glossary. So we've got a link to the wonderful blog post here, especially the summary if you're looking for just like that bullet point version of it. That summary is quite literally just a table. And a lot of machine learning knowledge out there is, is in Python right now. The summary includes a table that translates what the Python library is, what it is in Elixir that does a functionally equivalent kind of thing, and then describes what that library is trying to do for you. What tools does it provide? So like NumPy and Python is kind of like NX and Elixir. You've got Transformers and Python, which is kind of like Bumblebee and Elixir. You've got the Onyx runtime and Python, which is kind of like Ortex in Elixir, and it just keeps on going, right? So wonderful blog post. If you're trying to learn more about this machine learning stuff, this is a good start. Next up, Jason Stibbs wrote a blog post talking about how he used Llama C++ with Elixir and Rustler. It's still early, but he also started a hex package to make these things easier to run and use. The package is called Llama CPPEX. And if you're not aware, Llama C++ is a library that runs Llama-compatible models on the CPU instead of GPU. And it allows people to run quantized models, which are much, much smaller, and they can run on lesser hardware. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, give it a look and read the blog post. It kind of talks about how he builds the library. It's kind of interesting. It's like Llama with C++ bindings, CPP with Rustler bindings, (laughs) with (laughs) Elixir bindings. It's just bindings upon bindings upon bindings. Yes, turtles all the way down. (laughs) And next up, Benchy 1.3.0 was published. 
I would say Benchy is the best example of a good micro benchmarking library for benchmarking code in Elixir. It's very mature. It's got a lot of great engineering behind it. So Toby wrote a blog post about this release in which he talks about task async and cautions about the size of data being passed between processes. So really what this is, is Toby shares a mistake that he made while he was working on Benchy. And he took the learnings from that, created some graphics and explaining the whole situation and published it in a blog post to help other people avoid a similar trap. And it really all came about because large data was being passed between processes, which, you know, in the beam means the data is copied. And if it's a really large data structure that you're moving around, it'll take time and it will take resources. That is all time that's required before the task actually starts running concurrently. So it's actually, you're saying, I want to run all these different processes concurrently so I can really, you know, use all these cores on my machine, but there's kind of throttled because they're having to first get all the data to them. It can actually be a sneaky problem because, you know, we may not be aware of how big the data structure is that we're passing around, or maybe after our code and project evolves, maybe that data structure has gotten bigger and we just aren't aware of that. What I love about this is he has a little section called Remedy, where he shares a few different approaches to addressing this or fixing this issue. And really, it can be as simple as letting the process fetch the data that it needs itself. So as opposed to, I could have like the controlling process loads the data from the database, I've got a large list of stuff, and I'm going to pass that onto this process. And then the process is has to be copied all that data, and then it can start processing on the data. Well, I could just say, structure the code where the process directly loads it from the data. So there's no extra copy, right? So I'm, I'm not doing the extra copy because it's like, I might just be able to pass over like the ID of the thing it's supposed to be fetching from the database or, you know, the set of filters or whatever that apply to what it's supposed to be processing. Anyway, I thought it was a good read and I really appreciate his humility in sharing his mistake publicly. When we share these kinds of learnings, it helps us all improve. So I was really grateful for the effort he put into writing this up and sharing it. Part of that effort was applying these lessons to the Elixir docs as well. So like that's now an anti-pattern. Fly.io. It's a great place to run Elixir apps with many global regions, a private network that makes it easy to cluster your app and a powerful CLI. It's something you should really try out. Experience it for yourself at fly.io. All right. Next up is Magma AI Prompt IDE. All right. This one's a tough one to get your head around. I think I, I'm, I'm not sure I quite understand it. So I'll just read mostly from their docs and maybe you'll, you'll understand Magma is an environment for writing and executing complex prompts. It is designed primarily to support developers, AI prompts, that is, especially those using Elixir in collecting project knowledge, generating documentation, and solving problems through LLM prompts. It can also be useful outside of this context for generating longer text, for example. The concept behind Magma is straightforward. You, the user, collect project-relevant knowledge in atomic notes within an Obsidian vault. Obsidian is a markdown note-keeping app. And atomic notes are individual units of knowledge that focus on one specific idea or concept. And this project will use transclusions, a concept borrowed from hypertext that allows for the insertion of the content of a document into another document. You can generate LLM prompts that contain the necessary knowledge for the LLM, and Magma's transclusion resolution feature ensures the prompts consisting of transclusions are compiled into a proper prompt before execution. 
Hey, that's a lot of words. <laughs> in addition to user-defined custom prompts, Magma also defines a system of documents for a predefined workflow within predefined but editable prompts for the generation of various document artifacts, such as module docs, readme, including longer text as user guides. So that's all Magma. So maybe to rephrase that, Magma is an Elixir project that can consume project notes and you can ask questions against those project notes. Are we abstracting prompts now? I haven't been following this this world, but that's what it sounds like. We're, we've abstract. We've reached this point where writing prompts is too painstakingly hard. Yeah, and now we're making tools to make prompts. You know, this kind of uh, integrates with like existing tooling, right? So it, it kind of it, it can work without Obsidian, but it, it looks like Obsidian is a way to organize your your notes, right? And then you just give it the Obsidian Vault, and it'll learn more about you know all the notes you've taken and. It's a way of searching your own notes, I guess, right? So, like, mm. if it's your personal stuff, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe you're a very prolific note taker. But I can imagine it being more useful for, like, a project of 100 people. And everyone writes documentation in the repo. And you configure Magma to, like, go look at those docs. And somebody on another team can search, like, how do I turn on a feature flag? And Magma is one of those tools that can help find where those docs and uh, give you the answer. Like any company note taking resource could use this, right? It's like, yeah, we everybody starts off with good intentions to organize it. And then after a year, <laughs> you can't find anything. So if, if you could just say, hey, how do I do this thing? It's like, well, here's five relevant articles. It's like, great. Yeah. And uh, as long as your notes lie to you, <laughs> now the AI will also lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> Your code comments are now a lie. This is how you do that. Oh, that's been deprecated and nobody ever noted it. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, well, it's a tool. Could be helpful for some. And I guess the biggest hurdle in all this is you got to like store your notes in Markdown, which might be easy. Some projects and teams, but seems like I always end up on the teams that use Jira or Confluence or something <laughs> or Notion, right? I don't know if this supports Notion yet, but... It needs integrations, I think, to various note-taking platforms for it to, I think, be as versatile for a lot of folks. I noticed in their features that they say you can use the LLM of your choice, like ChatGPT, Bard, or Claude, etc. Oh, nifty. That's pretty neat. Next up, if you've ever used Membrane, you might have noticed there's a lot of little packages. So now there's an SDK, which wraps all of these things up into a single package. And to quote from them, they said... The SDK contains the vast majority of the membrane plugins, ensures plugin compatibility, has OTB support for Mac OS, Linux distros, and Windows, if you're on subsystem for Linux. New release at least every three months, and all you got to do is just simply add membrane SDK to your dependencies. This is good for experimentation and POCs, but in prod, they still recommend adding each plugin directly. But you can still use the SDK to check which versions are compatible with each other. So that's kind of cool. I've tried using Membrane before, and I noticed that there was quite a lot of things to add. So this should make it easier to just play with it and see what's going on. Yeah. And last up, we saw there's a new library called Elixir Styler. And ElixirCast created a video highlighting this particular project. What's great is it's a short video that really gives a demonstration and introduction to how this library works, what it does, and lets you see it in action. So what Elixir Styler is, 
is it's a project on GitHub that combines Credo-style problem detection with opinionated decisions and hooks into the Elixir formatter to actually apply those changes directly to your code when you run the formatter. What's interesting is this project is actually under the Adobe GitHub organization. So it's actually, you know, an, an Adobe library, which is pretty neat. But it can fix interesting things like one of the changes in Elixir recently was making logger.warn be deprecated in favor of logger.warning. And so right now, if you run your code, it'll give you a deprecation warning that, oh, you should change this. It's going to be breaking and changed in the future. Well, this will actually detect that and rewrite it for you. So it'll actually rewrite all of your logger.warns to a dot warning. It will also, when you format a module, if you don't have a module doc on it, it will add the at module doc false, you know, as part of the module. If you uh, have a function that takes no arguments, it will actually remove the empty parens part of the function name. So it, it is opinionated and it will actually rewrite some more stuff. So you might want to check it out. You may not agree with 100% of what it's changing, but that's kind of like what Credo does too, you know, or the Elixir formatter for that matter. You know, it's like, it kind of becomes its own little style that people choose to follow. I think the main point with this is that a lot of these little changes that it's making are changes that you don't have to make. Mm -hmm. It's just a time saver in that way, just kind of helping create consistency across all the source files and the modules and making it feel like a unified code base. Yeah, it's my favorite part of it is don't just tell me what's wrong. You know, like I don't care necessarily what's wrong. Just fix it. <laughs> just fix it. <laughs> when it's when it's little things like this, it doesn't change the logic. Don't add a step here for me to just be interrupted and get in my way, you know, like just just fix it. <laughs> yeah. If it's a little manual task like that, yeah, it's just just do it for me. Ah, <laughs> oh, remember the days when mixed format wasn't a thing. Oh yes. Well, welcome to the new year. We are excited to follow all the new advancements and news that happens in the Elixir community this coming 2024. We can't wait to see what happens. Hopefully you'll join us and follow along. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.